Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Okay, let me set the scene with a question. You want a $1.50 hot dog, a flat screen TV, and a tire, and you don't want to stop at three different places. So where do you go? The answer, if you are my guests, is Costco. David and Susan Schwartz are two of the biggest fans of Costco in the world, yet they live in one of New York City's smallest apartments. And they are authors of The Joy of Costco, a treasure hunt from A to Z, published by Hot Dog Press, LLC. Costco celebrated its 40th anniversary on September 15th. And you can follow David and Susan on their website, The Joy of Costco, as well as on Instagram, The Joy of Costco. David and Susan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having us. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, before we start, can I see your Costco card? <laughs> no, you don't hold, have on, to. hold on, hold on. There you go. <laughs> For those on Mars or who may be watching or listening, can you explain what Costco is? I mean, there may be a few people that don't know what Costco is. Yes, well, Costco is a retail warehouse club. Uh, you have to be a member. Uh, I think it costs $60 for the basic membership, $120 for the executive membership. Uh, and it is a, it, it's a very big box inside. It's a big warehouse, uh, usually around 150, 160,000 square feet with only 3,800 items. Uh, your typical supermarket might have 40,000 items. Your typical Walmart superstore will have 140,000 items. Costco has a very limited number of items, usually in bigger sizes, not always, but usually in bigger sizes. And it's great quality and great prices. Okay, so, it's actually top quality, rock bottom prices. Their business model is they mark up only 14% above cost at most. And the range of products is spectacular. So to us, it's like a happy place. It's a treasure hunt of like, who knows what you'll find. Well, I was thinking about that because whenever you hear the word warehouse, to me, that sounds dreary and stark. And yet it's really more like a gift box when you go in there because of all the items and products and food that you can get in there. What started your journey to writing about Costco? Uh, you each have individual experiences, but you're doing this as jointly as a couple. And you've traveled all over the world to create this book. And again, it's called The Joy of Costco, a Treasure Hunt from A to Z. So what started you on this Costco journey? Well, <laughs> Susan there it and is. I, <laughs> For those listening, she just showed us the book. <laughs> <laughs> Susan and I have always liked shopping at Costco for for the reasons I just said. It's it, you know high, top quality, low prices, and you never know what you're going to find inside. It, it is a treasure hunt. It's like an Aladdin's cave. And in 2016, I had been I had just finished up a book that I had been writing about Enrico Fermi, the Italian scientist. And I was talking to Susan about other books that I might be interested in writing. And I was going through one book after another. And all of a sudden, Susan turned to me and said, look, why don't we write a book together about Costco? We love Costco so much. We could travel the world, go to different Costcos, and find out stuff that members might want to want to know about their favorite company. There's just a couple problems here, Ira. Yeah. Uh, the first is I've never written a book. <laughs> okay. These, these get worse she, as they she's go. She's actually a very good writer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this, the second problem is COVID because that was 2016. Nobody right. knew what, you know, we knew Corona was a kind of beer, but not coronavirus. Right. Exactly. And the right. third problem, and probably the most serious, is that Costco is incredibly modest and humble and they did not, they were not keen on the idea of a book. So it took us two years to meet surviving co founder Jim Sinegal 
and the CEO, Craig Jelinek, it took another three years, that's three years, to convince them that we were going to write the book regardless. Right. And so we've done this independently financially, but ever since 2021, they have been unbelievably generous with their time and information, even though they are too modest to want a book written. It is amazing that it took you that long and de- and dedicated all that time to convincing some of these reticent people to come forward and give you some information. Eventually, you had some cooperation from Costco, but they're not they're part, not part of an endorsement deal. You're not no, tied to them commercially. No. You just guys are fans of the whole concept of Costco. And absolutely, I, I mentioned in the opening about your tiny apartment. I, I I think of it from your point of view as Costco is basically your storage unit. So whenever you need something, you go and you get it from the storage unit. That's exactly right. It's, it's you, actually, you nailed it on the head. It's, it's actually not right because we've now been to over. Oh, she contradicted. Wait a minute, she contradicted you. Did you hear that? It's okay. It's, 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 happens it happens. All, it happens. Oh, all right. Okay. So um, our, our apartment is 450 square feet. For the record, we live there and work together there when we're not at Costco. Um, we've now been to over 200 warehouses in all 14 countries where Costco does business. And in, today we're in Ohio and this is our 46th of 46 states. But the reason mm-hmm. it's not our storage unit at Costco is because when we travel abroad, we send back a box of stuff that we can't find anyplace else. So now it looks like a Costco warehouse. Inside uh, gotcha. our apartment. Gotcha. So our apartment is, is so, stacked to the, to the ceiling. So my concept was originally correct, but it has evolved. Yes. Based on, and so, okay, so we're both right. And, and David's okay. also right. Susan, was any of this suggestion for co-writing a book, was this part of it also to just keep the marriage stable? What do you think? <laughs> um, well, you know, we had already been working together for, um, I think, 12 years, yes. um, doing another kind of business. And then David had written the Fermi book by himself. I think it's sort of like Mary had a little lamb. I just kind of followed him to school one day and said, that looks like fun. I'm going to write a book. Writing a book is really hard. Yes. Nobody told nobody told me. He made it look easy. It's really time consuming and really hard. But, you know, the process we had was sort of magical. We, you know, we we developed a way of working together on text that was seamless. Although I, I, I will say, Susan's a very good writer, and the book really is in her voice. You know, the, the the quirkiness and the fun is something that she began to introduce, and we both adopted it as part of the voice of the book. Oh, I think, I, yeah, I think that's <laughs> a very good sport. Yeah, no, I think that's important to have that quirkiness because Costco is such an unusual operation, and. Full disclosure, uh, my wife and I are members of Costco as well, but we've been off and on with Costco over the decades. So it's not like we're continuously a member or continually a member. I have to define those two words, but we we enjoy the Costco experience. In fact, she wanted me to ask you, and we could actually bring it up now, if you haven't, we have, there's so much stuff to talk about with the book, but this is an important question. What do you recommend for holiday shopping as we approach the holidays? I know we're still in September, but at some point, the Said so Christmas starts to become in the public consciousness, I guess, in July these days. Who knows? But what would, would you recommend any tips or strategies for shopping in a Costco for holiday offerings and food, et cetera? Well, the first thing is Costco's philosophy is early in, early out. So before Labor Day, they began displaying Christmas goods along with Halloween. So if you want to buy your gifts and things at Costco for the holidays uh, and the end of the year, do it now because by the time Thanksgiving rolls around, it's gone. Um, Another fun fact is that Costco sells, I think it's 6 million pumpkin pies a year, but only between September and December. And just last week, we got our first pumpkin pie. So if you are a big pumpkin pie fan, (laughs) right now, enjoy it because come January, they're gone. Oh, God, yeah. I was impressed too, being in there recently, 
And this is not a, this whole program is not a commercial for Costco. It's a, really a commercial for your book, and you're not paying me for the commercial. But basically, again, the joy of Costco, a treasure hunt from A to Z, published by, of course, Hot Dog Press LLC. That's because our, of that dollar, that's our press. Yeah, it should be uh, should have been a dollar fifty Hot Dog Press LLC, but that's another <laughs> that's another story. But it, what impresses me about Costco is in the if you like vegetables, if you're one of those kind of people like me, where you want to be healthy, they have a lot of. You mentioned earlier, Susan, about the large quantity of things that they can sell. There's some small, but you can get a lot large quantity of organic vegetables at Costco. Excellent quality and very reasonable prices. How do is it just that they have the system so set up that they can do this where other stores or other quote unquote warehouse stores can't seem to do that? Costco made a decision, I don't know, about maybe seven or eight years ago that they were going to go full force into the organic business. And you know, by 2015, they were the largest organic food purveyor in the world. They outstripped uh, Whole Foods. So they take, you know, and they continue to grow grow this business. They take the organic business very seriously. And so, yes, it's not surprising that they that you know they they've devoted considerable logistics and considerable buying power to their organic produce. Yeah, it's fascinating. One other quick question, and then we'll get into the meat of the book and how you decided to design it, lay it out, and of course, those quirky features of it, which are attributable first to Susan and then went over to the other half of the of the <laughs> partnership. But do you have a recommendation of what is the best day and time to go visit a Costco? From my experience, never go on a weekend, but that's just here where I am, so... It takes a lot of courage to go on the weekends. It can be more crowded. We have a cartoon in the book that licensed from the New Yorker that says a woman looking adoringly up at her partner saying, I love you so much. I would even go to Costco with you on a weekend. Um, <laughs> but the weekends also potentially have more samples. So it's, you know, it's, there's, there's never a bad time to go. Um, there, there might be more samples on the weekend, but honestly, um, it, that's up to the retailers because it's the retailers who decide when to sample and what to sample. Is it just me or have you found other Costco customers? Because I assume the two of you also talk to people that are shopping in Costco. Would I be right that that would be just to get a flavor? Oh, yeah. oh yes. Am I the only one or are there others that don't really care about getting samples just because it's usually there's a line and it's a, just a small little piece of a sample and it doesn't really tell me anything? Oh, I think I think a lot of members like the samples. You know, A lot of member, members will go on weekends to check out the samples uh, and to do, you know, general shopping. We, I, I happen to love the samples. I don't know, Susan, do you, you're less, you're more um, disciplined. Disciplined. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, notably in Asia, people actually seriously line up for the samples. It's like a very long orderly line. It's really well behaved. Um, we've seen some different behavior around the world. I will say that yesterday we tasted something um, that it was so magnificent. It was a chocolate mousse kind of thing. I still resisted, but boy, that was really good. So it, it can give you a good taste of something. Right. Um, we, ch- we go to so many Costco warehouses. I try to encourage us to avoid the samples so we, we can keep our svelte. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's one, of the ocu- one of the occupational hazards of I, writing a book about Costco is weight gain. <laughs> I have heard some people, some people say that, um, that the, going to Costco is kind of like a gym with samples because you can walk around a lot and get in 10,000 steps and then have the samples too. Now, I was thinking about this because you talk in the book, and I want to get into the, the, the structure of the book. You talk about how you can return items many years later, and they, and they no questions asked, they refund. So if you uh, married Susan in Costco and you returned her 20 years later, would they accept her back? What do you think, David? You know, I, I will tell you that 
a very senior executive said to us once, you know, you either have a return policy or you don't. So I guess the answer is yes. (laughs) 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 Okay, Susan, it's up to you. You could return him too. So there you go. Well, we're just, we're not quite at the 20 year mark. In about two weeks, we'll hit that mark, the 20 years of marriage. So I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, so when you put the book together, it's a fun book and it's a, a full of interesting facts and figures. And we can talk about a few of them. But when you decided to format that book that way, was it a joint decision and to make it a somewhat of a whimsical? I know we talked earlier, Susan, about your approach is more whimsical than David's, but was it a joint decision to, to set it up, set up the book that way? Um, literally a really big joint decision. So we had, when we first started, we were doing a corporate biography kind of thing. And it wasn't that entertaining. Um, but our agents, uh, Levine Greenberg Rostin in New York City, Jim Levine and Courtney Paganelli, it was their idea to do A to Z and question and answer. So full props to them. Excellent. Um, we did all the heavy lifting after that, but it was their idea. And then the real beauty of the book literally comes from Bonnie Siegler and Andy Capelli um, at Eight and a Half Design. They're magnificent. And um, and also Martin Hargreaves, who did the illustrations, he's in Britain. So Bonnie, I remember when she first said to me, why don't we use a different color for each letter? I said, oh, we don't need that. Okay. I've been wrong a lot. That was a really big episode of it. <laughs> so the look and the fun feel of it is really, um, it was a group effort. Well, I like the fact that you, and it was, I will agree in the beginning where you're talking about the history of Costco. It's a little slow if you're interested in getting to the fun stuff, but it's also important because it gives you the whole background of the Price Club and all these guys and the mergers and the business disputes and all. And I, I think all of that is important to lay the foundation. And then you get into the quirky, interesting, fun stuff as well. So I, I'm glad you included that part in the beginning. Thank well, you. The, the, the other reason, the other thing that's important about that front part is that you see where the culture of the company comes from. You know, it comes from this guy, Saul Price who had a very, very clear idea of what it meant to be a retailer and imposed that on the organizations that he ran. And the culture today is exactly Saul Price's idea. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's how you treat, how you treat your members, how you treat your employees, how you treat your vendors and obey the law. And all of that stuff comes from Saul Price way back in the 1950s. Getting back to that $1.50 hot dog that I talked about in the beginning. How do they, I mean, obviously, they've kept that at that price despite inflation, the cost of goods, etc. And I know that you talk in the book about how they do that all in-house these days. But even so, are they taking a loss or are they still making a couple of pennies? No, it's, a, it's not a loss leader and neither is the roasted chicken, um, the rotisserie chicken, excuse me. And that's one of the many myths about Costco. Um, the, the business model, as we said, is only 14% above cost, no matter what it is, and at most. And so what they did is over the years, they found a way to vertically integrate, if you will, and start to produce the, the hot dogs in-house. In fact, uh, Craig Jelinek at one point told Jim Sinegal that he was going to increase the price. And there's a famous quote that, that Jim said, no way, a little bit more colorfully, but he said, no way, <laughs> figure out how to do it otherwise. And so Craig did, and they figured to their credit. And so they, they did the same thing with rotisserie chicken. They now have a, a huge chicken farm in Nebraska where they um, they grow their own chickens, largely because, pardon the pun, largely because the um, the chickens that were commercially available were getting larger and larger and they weren't going to fit in rotisseries. So they wanted to control the quality and control the process and keep the price down. Are these organic chickens? Uh, I They're not organic. They are um, they are. I guess the cage free, I guess is the, the, the terminology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cage free eggs are also a very important part of this. 
uh, of what they do. They do so many different things. They sell so many, even though it's limited, as you mentioned earlier, compared to other warehouse operations or supermarkets. They have a certain number of items, but they do sell so many different services and products. So, for example, they have a pharmacy at a, at a Costco. And now, okay, I'm thinking that you could go from birth to death in Costco because they now sell caskets. So why did they decide to get into the casket business? Was there a demand for it from Costco members? That well, no, Costco members are pretty healthy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, they're sticking around. Um, but the, the basic concept is anytime where it's something where they can deliver a real value to their members, they want to. And sat, you know, it's difficult when you're buying a casket. You're often in a situation where you're not in any state of mind to, to negotiate or haggle and you can get right. taken advantage of. Same thing with hearing aids. My hearing aids are from Costco. They're underneath these huge headphones, but they're they're from Costco. They were $1,500. They would have been $7,500 to $10,000 if I bought them someplace else. And Costco just wants to make sure that people are taken care of. Same thing with the cars. Costco sells cars and there's no haggling. It's just they, that's what they do. They try to help out. So I think they got into the casket and coffin business because um, they just wanted to make sure that in a time of, of real need, people are not taken advantage of. And they sell tires and they sell gas. Yep. It is fascinating when you go there, and that's why I try to avoid weekends. I just I can't deal with that crush of people. It just it gets a little crazy. But when you shop a, a Costco, is there any strategy for where the best value is or the best quality is in the sense of the interior of the store or the perimeter of the store inside? How does that? How do we work that that magic? Well, you know, you do have. Pretty much everything is great value, but you do need to go through the store and look at the labels. And sometimes you'll see rebates and sometimes you'll see that the price doesn't end in a 99. And, you know, if, if the price ends in a 97, it's a supplier markdown. If it ends in a zero, zero, it's, it's been a markdown that the warehouse imposed. But the other, the, the place to look for real deals is on the end dials because Often uh, the end dial products will be on special, special pricing mm-hmm. and price to move, and uh, and so take you know pay attention to the end dials. How do they deal with the membership? You talked about they always look for, especially like with caskets, they are always looking for what can what value we can bring to members. And it fascinates me in this sense that as we've seen customer service decline over the decades in America, and even in high end smaller stores. You don't get the same service that you would get elsewhere. How are they able to balance the dedication and commitment to members and at the same time deal with the incredible volume of goods and services that they sell? How do they, how do they do that? I think the, the, first, the first line of, of, of quality there is the buyers themselves because the buyers they have to be very disciplined. They're only 38, as we said, they're only 3,800 items in the warehouse. And the buyers have to be extremely disciplined about the quality of the items that they, that they choose. And, and it all sort of stems from that. And then in the warehouse, the, the shopping experience, you know, it's, it's a no frills shopping experience, but the employees there are all taught to be extremely helpful to members. Member service comes first. If you go into a break room at a typical warehouse, there will be a poster of member service principles that the home office has, you know, has, has sent around to everybody and emphasizes all the time. So senior management is always working 
with the, the 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 rest of the staff to make sure that these these member service principles are are stuck to. You know, greet the member, look the member in the eye, smile. You know, be helpful, go the extra mile, know the warehouse well enough to be able to help someone, even if it's not your department. All that kind of thing goes into the, the philosophy of, of retailing that they, they pursue. But when the rubber meets the road, even in a membership setting, there are so many people, it's almost like dealing with the general public. So it fascinates me that the workers there, the employees, are able to maintain those principles day-to-day, hour-to-hour, dealing with hordes of people, especially on a weekend, and still do it. And yet they seem to be able to do it. So that's the fascinating part. And I guess that's the importance of company culture and being able to sustain company culture. Is that what you found as you traveled around the world and went to these different warehouses? For sure. I mean, we've been, been, as I said, to 14 countries. Uh, Most recently in July, we were in China, uh, in Shanghai. They've got five warehouses and they're building many more. Really, it all comes from the top. It comes from, you know, this is how we do things. They have their business principles on the wall inside every warehouse. Number one, obey the law. Number two, respect your members. Number three, respect um, the vendors. Number four, respect no, these, employers. I'm sorry, employees, then vendors. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you do all that, then the shareholders shareholders will be taken care of. And it really, the the employees are are just dedicated. Most employees, the employees, if you make it through one year of work, the turnover rate is between 7 and 9%, mm. which is unheard of. Sure. Productivity is huge. And Jim Sinegal, the co-founder, says, it's not altruism, it's just good business. If you have happy employees, they're your best spokespeople. And it's true, and it comes across when you're there that it's a happy place. You mentioned before about the warehouse environment. The ceilings are huge, really high, and it's brightly lit. They've got usually um, skylights in a lot of the warehouses, and they're very brightly lit. It's a very mm. cheery place. It's not what you'd expect when you hear Right. Warehouse. I think if they change that word warehouse to store, it might have a warmer feel to it, but obviously they've been doing it right for so many decades. They're not going to listen to me. And I, I'm probably <laughs> wrong, but I just like the idea of Costco store versus Costco warehouse. It just sounds too bare bones with the name warehouse. But the other thing too, what do you both think about this? As I hear you talk about their philosophy, this used to be the philosophy. If you go back 40, 50 years, this used to be the philosophy of a lot of businesses. Treat the customer right. Treat the employee right. Make sure everybody's taken care of. Make sure there's value for the money. Now it's so atypical. That's probably why there's such a success today, even. Well, I will say that um, this is largely written to be a fan book for our fellow fans. But it's also, to me, just a feel-good story about how you can do the right thing and still make money. That's what I guess. You have to make every last penny you can. I mean, that's why Craig Jelinek says, we're making a fair return on the hot dogs. We're fine. The price of the pumpkin pie hasn't gone up. Craig once heard they're taking the price up. He said, no, we're making enough money. We actually were in a large meeting with some senior executives where they were talking about taking the price of something up a dollar. And from the back of the room, the most senior person said, no, it's okay not to make more money. It's just phenomenal. It's a feel-good story. It you really know, I is, th- yeah. I, I think, you know, what you what you see in American corporate life, I think, in, in retailing, is that more and more companies are beginning to realize that there are more stakeholders with within the corporation than simply the shareholders. The shareholders are extremely important. If you if if you if you destroy shareholder confidence, you don't have a company. And shareholders need a, a, a good return on their investment. But there are other stakeholders as well. And you can pay attention to those stakeholders and still keep the shareholders very happy. 
And I think more and more companies are looking at companies like Costco and saying, you know, maybe we can do that. I mean, I see that in in the business publications like Barron's. But I tell you, it makes it hard for us to deal with other companies as customers, because how many times have you called up and you hear, due to unusually heavy call volume, your call will be. And honestly, it's not unusually heavy call volume if every time I call, it's an hour on the phone on hold. Costco just doesn't do that. The Costco mail order experience is just delightful. I no longer argue with an insurance company over whether it's covered or with my doctor about getting a prescription refilled. That's mail or pharmacy. Mail or pharmacy. Mail or pharmacy takes care of all of that for us. That's great. Well, tell us, we have a few minutes left. Uh, The best part of the book for both of you, and it may vary between the two of you because although you obviously both wrote the book, Susan may have one view of what the best, best part of the book is. And David, you may have a different opinion. So I'll I'll defer to Susan first, as you always well, thank do. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what great manners. Um, thank you. Um, well, I, you mentioned, mentioned it's published by Hot Dog Press, but what you didn't really mention explicitly is that's us. You're now talking Correct. to the entire company, Hot Dog Press. Correct. Um, so we are eternally grateful to the 22 publishers who turned down the project <laughs> three, three years ago, which and then we got two offers which were sufficiently motivating for us to say, you know what, we'll just do this ourselves, kind of Costco style. We wanted to you know, control the quality and the pricing and everything. Also, we had no choice. Nobody else would publish it. So and, the, and the book is only $1.50, so, and it comes with a soda. <laughs> <What can> you- <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, but so we, uh, for me, it was the publishing part because we just, we both love the publishing business. And it was a great opportunity to get to learn about that. It's a little harrowing, but. No, it's a good, you have a learning mm-hmm. curve and you go with it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I love that part of it, but I also love the fact that we've been able to take a fun, quirky, interesting text and marry it to an equally fun, quirky, and interesting graphic presentation. You know, and as you know, that's been the result of a lot of different people. As Susan said, uh, the studio eight and a half with Bonnie Siegler and Andy Capelli and our illustrator. And it all sort of meshed together, in my view, very, very well. And I love the coherence of the book from that point of view. And what was the one thing that you will probably bring back when you write the sequel that you didn't include in this first book? Is there <laughs> something you discovered after the book went to press? You're press because it's your book. Uh, That's right. No, I, I don't think so. But I, I will say one memory that I will, two memories I'll cherish forever. One is we got to spend an overnight in Sterling, Virginia at a warehouse watching them get what they call showtime ready. So we went into the warehouse at six o'clock and stayed till 11 p.m. and then went in the next morning at 4 a.m. and stayed until 10 a.m. when they opened. And that was a really magical experience for us. The other one, obviously, was having a hot dog with Jim Sinegal at the Issaquah warehouse across the street from the, the home office. That, for my background's in marketing and retailing. So for me, that was just, it's like going to Graceland with Elvis to spend time with him there. Understood totally. <laughs> you, you know, there's one thing that, that has happened since the book uh, went to press that that we find really interesting. And, and I think we will put it into it if there's ever a sequel, which is, you know, a few years back, they they bought a company from Sears mm-hmm. called Innovel, which is a which which is a, a sort of last mile delivery business for large uh, and bulky items. And they thought it would fit in well with their business. And what they've begun to do, Innovel had a whole bunch of distribution centers. And what they've begun to do was build what they call MDOs, which is a warehouse that has attached to it a fulfillment center for these large and bulky items. So these are are much bigger than your average warehouse right now. We've visited two of them, one in Iowa and one in Oklahoma, I think it was. And it's a great, great idea, fascinating concept. 
uh, it's just beginning. You know, I, obviously they're taking a look and to see how it works, but that's something that that happened since the book uh, went to press that I think is an important development for Costco. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guests have been David and Susan Schwartz, authors of The Joy of Costco, a treasure hunt from A to Z, and it's published by Hot Dog Press, LLC. You, you can follow David and Susan on their website, The Joy of Costco, as well as on Instagram, The Joy of Costco. And David and Susan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.